All right, guys, welcome to Property Profits Podcast. I'm your host, Bryce Kaminsky, filling in for Dave Dubow. And if you've ever you know, been in the real estate game and you've decided, I'm going to buy this property and I want to make sure that I get the most out of purchasing this property, or you're in the development stage and you're just really not sure how to maximize the, the lot to the highest and best use, I've got author and real estate investor Ryan Carr on the show with his new book, uh, highest and best use playbook. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Good to see you. Yeah, it's been a minute. If people who don't know, I've known Ryan probably what five years ago we met. Oh, at, at least seminar, yeah. five yeah, or seven yeah. years ago. And he's been doing big things. You know, ever since uh, he got on my radar, I've been watching him. You know, cutting things up and doing all sorts of uh, interesting and creative deals. So, um, I guess we can run back to the beginning. What were you doing before real estate and what kind of got you into the real estate game? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, day one, I mean, growing up in Ontario, I was a mechanic. I was fixing cars. I was building go-karts and things like that. And that's that, that was kind of my childhood, which brought me to uh, you know going to school to become a mechanic and getting my license and so on. Mm-hmm. And I was building armored cars uh, for a while. And when I was building armored cars, these were like, these are super cool. They were like handmade vehicles with Xboxes and cappuccino machines and bulletproof glass and stuff. And uh, my wife and I, we started looking for our first house while we were doing this. So we found our first property. It was a fixer-upper bank sale, uh, you know, on a couple acres with a detached garage. And it was everything that we wanted so that I could kind of work with my hands, you know, outdoors. And during that time, when we bought our first place, the real estate agent calls me and she goes, hey, have you guys ever thought about buying a rental property? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, no, not really. Like, we just bought our first house. And this was about six months after that. And uh, she goes, well, why don't you come and check this thing out? And if you like it, you can buy it. And if not, you know, no harm, no foul. So I said, okay. So went over, thought the property was interesting. This was a non-legal uh, basement apartment type of bungalow. And so we ended up buying that, legalizing the basement. And that was our first rental property. Uh, we ended up flipping both of those, made a handful of money, and then started the real estate investing portfolio from there. So you you uh, fixed it up and sold it, took the cash, moved on to the next position. So yeah, um, one thing that you're really big on, obviously, highest and best use. How have you been deploying that since then and where did that idea come from yeah so i've done about 70 some odd properties uh, since and one thing that i realized looking over my entire portfolio all the properties that i've done um later in my career i was looking back and i was like gosh what is it that really makes me tick like what is it about the portfolio that i enjoy doing and it was really optimization of all of the different opportunities that came from within all of those purchases. So whether it was whether it was land development or you know building a basement apartments or adding extra units somewhere or you know maybe it's just a straight up flip. Maybe there is no optimization. Maybe it's just you know get in and get out and that's it. That is the optimization period. Um, I was always looking at where can I where can I maximize the potential and squeeze out all the juice of whatever potential is there. So that's really the term highest and best use. And I coined that as the most profitable, productive, and efficient way to get something done somehow. And that's what I did with all these deals was I try to get as much profit as fast as I could, you know, maybe that was short-term, long-term, but, but overall that's, that's how I was able to get that juice, that nectar. Yeah. Because a a lot of people um, will approach a property with a relatively fixed mindset. They'll be like, I'm making this a rental when it could have been a flip, or I'm going to make this a flip when it should have been a rental. And that's like the simplest way to, to put it. But when you look further into it, um, there's properties I bet that you're able to take action on because you're investigating the highest and best use as opposed to, um, you know, looking at it as what you want rather than looking at it, what it could be. So how do you approach that, that process, um, 
when you're looking at properties or looking for properties? So for me, I break it down into three, we'll call it like three buckets. So the first is the land. The second is the structure. And then the third is somebody's personal skill sets and time. Okay. So we'll go with the first one first, which is the land. So every time I look at a deal, I'm like, okay, what, what can we do with this piece of land? Maybe it's vacant. Maybe it's already got something on it, but like overall, what is the, what is the highest and best use of the dirt? Right. And that usually relates back to zoning. So like, what does the zoning allow us to build or put on it? Or, you know, what is the use? Is it commercial residential? I'm curious about all of those things because that's where the value starts. Mm -hmm. Okay. Number two is the structure. What do we do with the structure that's either existing? Do we renovate it? Do we leave it as is? Do we not touch anything? Do we, you know, cut the roof off and add a second story? Do we redevelop the basement? Uh, do we build new, like knock it down and start fresh? Like, what do we do with that structure? There's lots of properties out there where the houses just like, no matter what you do, they're just never going to be worth more than they're currently worth. Like mm. no matter the landscaping you pile in, no matter the swimming pool that you add, no matter the new shingles you put on, like, it's just kind of worth what it's worth. And mm. then there's lots of properties out there where you can do a forest value add. And you can say, hey, kitchen, bath, flooring, paint. This is where we're making money, right? As you know. Mm -hmm. um, and that's important. So what do we do with the structure? Do we keep it or build new? That's kind of the, the bottom line. And then lastly is personal skill sets and time. Like, what are you good at and what do you have time to do? Like the mm -hmm. basement apartment guy is probably not developing a hospital. And the person buying farms for you know, redevelopment is probably not doing the basement apartment. So like, like what are you good at? You know, where's your skill sets? Time is a huge component. I don't think enough people think about this. It's like yes. Okay. What am I good at? But like, how much time do I actually have that I can put towards this thing? So like, if you're a family man or woman, um, how many kids do you have? Do you have to be the primary caregiver for those children? Do they have special needs? Um, do you have to, uh, or not have to, but do you choose to have date night twice a week with your spouse? Uh, maybe you have none of this and you're just like, Hey, I'm going home. I want to go and crush deals. And I don't have anybody that I have to call on. I don't have any kids that mm -hmm. I have to look after. And the time is mine, right? Like everybody has a different constraint there. So when you pile all three of those things together, that's really what's going to spit out these things that we call deals. Yeah. Cause if you're, if you're too busy, you probably want to do something that's mostly hands off. Like, okay, I'm yeah. just going to paint this house. That's like a decent deal. And it's a rental now. Yeah. You're probably not going to be like, I'm going to redevelop this and buy the house next door and yeah. uh, amalgamate the land. And, and, you know, yeah. like that, that's just not, um, it's just not feasible. And sometimes people can, can get really, you know, down the rabbit hole when they're looking at properties. So funny story. You, about land assembly. I say that? Yeah, can I tell ahead. you a story about a land assembly? Yeah, just speaking um, about time. I want to hear it. Yeah. I met a gentleman who was in his nineties and he had this, this, we'll call it like a barn, like a warehouse, kind of a barn thing. Mm -hmm. And he was trying to assemble all of the neighbor's properties. And because, you know, I routinely do this. Um, I was interested in talking to him and because he was older I asked him, I said, Hey, how long have you been trying to assemble all of the neighboring properties? He was working on this land assembly for 45 years, right? A he, holdout somewhere in the, in the group, a holdout. That's right. That's right. And there was, there was a couple of problematic, you know, things, one or two holdouts. Uh, but yeah, 45 years. So sometimes no matter how much time you have or how long you wait, things just don't go in your favor. Right. So yeah, time is a huge thing. Yeah. There's the, you know, there's a piece of property, uh, in the city here where a realtor is trying to sell it, um, as a future thing, like buy this land because they're going to redevelop this bridge and and, yeah. and buy the land from you. And it's like, okay, in 2040, yeah. in, <laughs> like, uh, and until then I'm going to pay, you know, it's just not going to, it's just not going to make sense. So mm -hmm. uh, the research is definitely important as to, as to how you put these things together. So when, when you look at those three things, 
um, and your time and your best skills and the land itself, uh, what has that led you to primarily uh, focus on? Yeah, I've been a, I've been a mixed bag to be honest. I was always more of a lean and efficient style of operation. So I had full time staff. Uh, we did construction, property management, in house, uh, duplex conversions, triplexes, land development, uh, and then some multifamily as well. So it's really been a mixed bag. I was always good at just identifying where the opportunity was, and because we mm. were fairly nimble, I could go there. You know, and I had somebody on my podcast, and he was like, "You seem to be the." the UFC fighter of real estate. And I said, how do you mean? He goes like, you can, you can like judo chop and you can kick and you can flip around and you can play on the mat. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of the idea. Right. And, and for me, that's what kept things fresh. And a lot of people like to systematize and just do one thing. And I, and I mm -hmm. think that has merit. Um, in my case, I did it a bit differently. And I said, Hey, you know, there's, uh, there's an opportunity over here. Let's do that. And how can I roll that in with some of my other systems? So I tried to really, you know, really wrap the entire thing like a burrito and say, okay, this is the portfolio. This is, this is why it works. And because I was doing that, it led me to all of the other opportunities that I had seen since. Yeah. Cause there's, you know, what Robert Kiyosaki calls the unfair advantage. <laughs> and it's so, you know, when I hear you say that, I'm thinking to myself, the speed and the the agility in the business is, it sounds like that's your unfair advantage, like not necessarily yeah. what you do, but, um, you know, maybe it's how you do it. So what would you say your, your unfair advantage in the business, something that comes easy to you that other people, uh, might find difficult. I can speak a lot of the languages of real estate. So I break it down as real estate, finance, construction, and design. I can speak all four of those. Um, real, I didn't put this in the book, but like real estate being, um, you know, can you speak the language of real estate itself? It is a language. Can you mm -hmm. talk about properties? Can you talk about legal? Can you talk about all of the things, right? That go alongside finding a deal and putting it together. That's a language. The language of finance is like, okay, first mortgage, second mortgage, prom note, VTB, all of that. Um, what is a down payment? How does that affect your, your, your monthly payments and so on? That's the language of finance, right? Construction is like, what can we build and how can we build it? What does that cost? I can speak that and then design. How does it look good? How, or, or why does it look good? What color are we going to pick? You know, I'm not a color picker myself. I, I can't pick carpet to save my life, but mm -hmm. you know, I understand that and I know where to go if I need help. And when you put all four of those together and you combine that with like, how can we make this deal work? You know, that's where it becomes explosive. Yeah. Where, you, where you're, cause some people have blind spots in their real yeah. estate um, endeavors in which they're like maybe really savvy at two or three of those things, but they're maybe not finance savvy or capital. Um, you know, maybe they've been self-financing and that's as mm -hmm. much of the languages they've learned. They know like English, yeah. but then English and French exist everywhere. And then if you go to, you know, Mexico, you got Spanish, gotta, yeah, yeah, you gotta, you gotta go and learn Spanish, and they, and they all kind of know English, so you can get by. Yeah. But I like the the idea that you're saying is like become fluent in the languages of real estate. So, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, why why you wrote the book because you know that's a that's a difficult thing to do for pretty much anyone. Like it's not easy, and yeah. so you could have not done it. But what? What inspired you and, and how did that, you know, come to be? I, you're right. I really could have not done it. And that's, that's the honest truth. It takes an, a, a disproportionate amount of time. Like I could have done so many deals in the time that I spent writing the thing. Um, in a lot of ways I wrote it for myself. It was mm -hmm. like, how can I document what I've learned so far onto paper so that I don't forget that. Right. And in saying that, because I did it for, in some ways myself, 
it became a better product, which then for other people to read, they go, oh, that makes sense to me, right? Because it was written in my own words. And, you know, when you're writing a book, I did it over the course of two years. Some people do it over the course of like a couple of weeks and they hammer it out and they send it off to a ghostwriter. And like, this is the flavor that I want, but you know, you do the rest. I actually wrote the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, other than some, some, some typos and, and some proofreading and stuff like that, 99% of the book was me. And, you know, when writing that, there's a lot of people out there that say, Hey, how do I develop land? Or how do I optimize this opportunity? Or how can I just be creative with my renovations? There's a chapter in there about that, you know, just creative renovations that make money, creative renovations that don't make money. You know, like mm-hmm. it's, as, it's as simple as that. Where can I make dollars? Right. Or how can I think about things differently? That was the whole perspective. So as much as it was for myself, it was also for others to say, Hey, how can I look at this differently? Yeah. Because of the, you know, what I really love about books is that thing's going to uh, survive yeah. likely. Um, you know, the, the big thing is always like, if you go to a thrift store and your yeah. book made it through the whole cycle and is there, <laughs> now you're an author because if it's just, <laughs> if it just got sold, like when you, you know, there's enough of them in circulation that they end yeah. up at the thrift store. So, um, yeah, I, I love the idea and I've always been, you know, especially in your market, like you need to be creative in Ontario. Um, it's, and, and what I really do like about it in in the second part is that Ontario is known for allowing a little bit more creativity. Like there's other markets that are a little bit tighter and uh, a little bit more archaic. Yeah. And so, um, you know, with the creativity is, is that something that is still happening with what's going on with the current market conditions or has it kind of calm down because a lot of times you know just to add the, the last piece here a lot of times construction uh is making less sense because of labor and materials mm-hmm. and uh exit numbers so how are you maintaining that creativity when maybe the market conditions aren't necessarily uh in our favor yeah creativity is more important now than ever so i mean you look at interest rates and they're obviously considerably higher than what they were two years ago which crunches your cash flow, which means you can borrow less money and, and so on and so forth. So how can you get your rents to be supported as, as best as possible if you're in the rental game? You know, that's number one. And how can you do that on a budget? Is it kitchen, bath, flooring, paint? Is it taking the wall out? Is it putting a wall up? You know, mm. everybody loves open concept. Great. But I mean, if you're a family with nine kids and, you know, a bunch of toys on the floor make a mess and it makes the whole place look bad. Well, maybe you put the wall up and make a playroom that could be highest to best use for you as a family right? Nothing yeah. to do with money, everything to do with sanity, you know? Yeah. But I mean, in terms of finance, yeah, you got to be super careful on where you're spending your dollars. Like just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Mm-hmm. And I think that that isn't talked about enough in the market. Everybody thinks, well, you know, I can go and add uh, this many more units. It's like, okay, but if, if you do that, what happens to the parking lot? Oh, well, I have to add the sewer in the parking lot to capture all the snow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, then if you add that, then you got to dig this up. And then what happens to the structure and, you know, the foundation wall? So like sometimes things can compound and snowball such that it's better just to leave it alone. And that could be the yeah. optimization. But yeah, sometimes you do. You get in there, you get your hands dirty and you say, hey, this, this math pencil's out. Then you go ahead. But unless it makes sense for you, you don't do it. You don't. Yeah. And, and what's interesting, uh, you know, I was talking to another developer <clears throat> out in uh, BC. Yeah. And there's a little bit of an obsession to maximize the lands unit. They're like, we're approved for... 30 or whatever and they go for 30 but that might not be the highest and best use in the sense that doing 30 really complicates like you're saying the parking 
the offsets, the construction mm-hmm. costs, the size of the units, the value of the thing in total. So, um, and also like to maximize a piece of property in that way, a lot of times you might have to go through variances and, you know, like it's, it's time is often not looked at when um, it's not even highest and best use. It's just like a mm-hmm. mentality of maximization, which yeah. isn't necessarily profitable. You right. know, you can max something out. I can overload a truck to the, beyond the, the thing. It doesn't yeah. mean that that's a good idea. Right. So um, have you started approaching the creative financing uh, as you're doing deals in, in, say, the last 12 months? Because it seems to be emerging that the bank isn't as favorable and people are starting to have to get creative. So have you started looking into that? Have you started utilizing creative finance in different ways? What to do when the bank says no? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, v- a lot. I know, man. Uh, VTBs are always my go-to if I'm buying something like a bigger building, for example. You know, if I'm if I'm buying that and and I know that the bank is going to give me a hard time about it, I will always approach the VTB first. Uh, generally speaking, the VTB is more flexible for anybody who hasn't done one uh, because the the seller typically knows the property and unless they need the cash they might as well make some interest on the cash for something that they're familiar with. So, um, you know, there's many other reasons, tax deductions and advantages and so on and so forth. But like generally I'll approach the VTB. I did one on a bigger building uh, a while back and that was just like, Hey, they wanted to sell it. I wanted to take it over. The building was smashed up. And I knew that the bank wasn't going to finance this thing just Mm -hmm. because the rents were low. The property was a mess. CMHC would have hated it. Right. And the seller was fluent in the language of real estate. So I said to this person, Hey, I'm going to buy to this. This is what I think I can borrow from for or from you at, right? To make it all make sense. Are you good with that? And this person was like, yeah, that makes sense to me, right? So if you can articulate that to somebody in 90 seconds or less, pr- preferably not through an agent, sometimes through an agent if you have to, but I like to go right to the seller if possible. If you can do that, you'll win, right? Well, what's nice about um, vendor financing on larger multi-units is that they typically are fluid fluent in that language yes sometimes they're not and you have to kind of like teach them the language a little bit which makes it challenging yeah um but a lot of times for people like are thinking about getting into multifamilies and larger especially with the bank financing these days a lot of those people didn't just get into an apartment block first try they played real estate for a while and got to that position they understand it and they most times don't want all their money they want to like some tax deferral and they'll get take some cash because they want some cash and they'll keep the rest on the table and charge you interest. So it's very, very possible. And it's commonly overlooked as people are forcing their hand and say, I want to buy it. I'm raising the money. We're going to yeah. get this guy out of the deal and we're going to put all our money in the deal. And it's like, well, there's a potential partner already in the deal. Did you ask the guy who Just- already <laughs> owns it? You know, like he can probably and and owes nothing. Like old guy, older woman yeah. uh, has has tons of equity and they're just skipping that, you know, they're not thinking about the, the, you know, and, and when we talk about highest and best used, sometimes it's not the deal that needs the focus. It's the way it's financed yeah. because the way you finance something um, can definitely determine whether it's profitable or not. If you do a bad job, no matter mm-hmm. what you do on the house and the, the crew and the acquisition, the money can kill you. So um, how can people get, uh, this book, where where can they find it? Um, online, on a website? Yeah, it's all over. I mean, you can go to the highestinvestuse.com and there's a bunch of links there, but generally it's on 
Amazon, which will be the go-to for most folks. Uh, it's Audible, it's hardcover, it's paperback. You can get it at like Walmart and stuff too, but uh, go online. It's easiest. Did you, re- did you record the audio book yourself? I did. I did. Oh, good. I, I love that. I, I love when the author is doing the, yeah. the actual audio book because there's a thing Dan Martell says, never outsource your confidence. And when someone else Ooh. does reads your book, um, you know, it might have a cool British voice or something, but it's not <laughs> the 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 conviction of the author and that's what i really love uh, about the book so um there's the one question for guys that have been in the business for a while i say if you could start all over again Mm -hmm. what would you do different if anything i wouldn't change a thing i'm extremely happy there you go i'm extremely happy with the outcome uh thus far in my real estate career uh my lifestyle is in check with the business the business is in check with the lifestyle and obviously you fine tune as you go mm-hmm. but i mean yeah did i go super huge and did i leave money on the table probably but did i do nothing and and cower into the corner and, and be too afraid to pull the trigger no no i didn't do that i was somewhere yeah. in the middle and i'm and i'm super happy about that so i wouldn't change a thing yeah that's that's a good one i'll, I'll throw another curveball because um uh you know there's just a little bit of passing down. So if someone's starting um, in real estate or thinking about getting it into real estate, what advice would you have for them? Ooh, be a sponge. This is always my go-to. So be a sponge, soak it up, learn as much as you can from as many people as you can. And when you find a vein that you really like, then drive down it. Like I've had lots of, lots of coaching clients in the past, right? Where I, I help them navigate the waters because there's lots of stuff out there where they don't know. And sometimes you don't even know what you don't know, but start with the free stuff. Start with the simple stuff, YouTube, books, uh, you know, weekend seminars, this kind of thing. Start with that. And when you find somebody that you resonate with, then pour into them and they'll pour into you too and focus on their systems. Because if you have nine coaches, it doesn't get, it's not, you're not going to be nine times better, right? Like a 60 yeah. minute job with 60 people doesn't take one minute. It just, doesn't, it just doesn't work like that. So yeah. find someone in something that you like and then pour into it. And yeah, you might get like a bunch of conflicting ideas too, because the yeah. way that one person was successful in real estate may not be the way the other person was successful and so on and so forth. So um, yeah. if people want to get a hold of you, they want to reach out and con- connect with you, how should they do that? Yeah, they can find me on Instagram at the highest and best use, or they can find me on uh, Facebook as well at Ryan Carr. Awesome. Well, I'm definitely um, definitely going to check that book out because I, I saw that you had released it, um, but it did, you know, did slip my mind. I'm definitely going to take a look at that book because <laughs> That's been your uh, motto and your mantra for a long time, and it's really served you well. And I think that if people are are trying to do that, then they should definitely grab that book and, and look into Ryan's brain. Take a look into <laughs> Ryan Carr's brain and figure out you know, how, how he did it, and maybe you can replicate some small portion of his success. I really appreciate you being on the show, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. Okay, until next time, guys, uh, we'll see you on the next episode.